My guest today is Dr. Stefan Zorn, and, and Stefan is the head of sales EMEA for Andor Technologies. Stefan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Good being here. Uh, my pleasure's all mine, Stefan. Delighted to have you. Stefan, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like. So I grew up in a little town in the eastern part of Germany, Plauen. As a kid, I wanted to win a Nobel Prize, wanted to be a famous scientist. And um, this was my chance to go there. So I went for one year to the boarding school, realizing it wasn't only fun, right? It was being away from friends, from family, a lot of pressure. And so at some point I got back and then finished school there and found back to my old friends, found new ones. And, um, and during this time, I also... I had a, my first team, so founded a natural preserve group, a couple of people, and we did different actions. It was really fun to lead people and also an experience which accompanied me throughout my life. Okay, and you said it was in the former Eastern Germany, and I think you did your arbiture in 95. Do you have any memories of what it was like? And, and if so, has that informed... Uh, you, you yourself in terms of your own character memories personality traits etc yeah i think i was pretty lucky um the first years when i grew up in this part of germany things were fine right as, as a kid it was was good living there it was a bit different you had those, those the pioneers this, this this group feeling and a lot of things have not been possible as an adult but as a kid it was, it was good and so when i when then there was a reunion of Germany, I, I was there and could do all the things I wanted to do. And I think having also this, this difference in environment also helped me later in my life to adapt to, to all mm. other different environments. Mm. So yeah. for me, it was good. And this growing up there has also been a point connecting to people who had a similar, similar experience in their life. Maybe also being from the part of Eastern Germany or being new in other countries, so it really helped me to connect to other people. Yeah, I guess it, it, if you're a kid, it doesn't make sense. I remember I was in um, Eastern Partage, I was in Berlin, in East Berlin in 1983. Um, and yeah, I could imagine as, as a child, it was quite a, a happy environment. There's, there, there's only when you got to be an adult where you probably felt the restrictions. Um, I'm curious to know, let's just go back to your education and i know you did uh you, you talked about maths and you did physics um uh, your your um it wasn't a faculty school it was a it was a diploma you did in, in, i think it was physics and then you went on to do a, yeah, I did a, diploma a phd i'm not even going to attempt to recall in fact i well, i say I, I attempt to recall i have it here in front of me your phd was um, you're probably better off did in it was in has been awesome physics oh yes it's, it's, yes it was charlie yes yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, <laughs> here's the bit that i i was struggling to remember protein resistant self-assembling monolayers and you had a magna cum laude and that that isn't that's an incredible achievement um but i'm also fascinated in in joining the dots between that and he, ending up as the head of sales for a, for a business where, where are they connected yeah so so for my studies um i couldn't i mean i couldn't completely decide what to do physics or, or biochemistry right. so i decided to do biophysics 
And then in Jena, where I wanted to study biophysics, the professor didn't come, the main part of my study. So I had to patch things together myself, studying physics and then getting other courses and then finding a professor who was, who was a physicist by working in the medical faculty doing patch club. And so I could put that together. Um, I, and, and throughout my scientific career, you know, I did, I then switched back to physical chemistry. I felt like something is missing. And I thought it's, it's, bit, it's not enough biology, right? And so I, I was striving, I was doing my PhD, as you say, with protein resistant monolayers. I then went to the US and taking those mon protein resistant monolayers um, to do stem cell research as a, as a postdoc in medicine. And I always have found something is missing. You know, it was, it was good working as a scientist. I had a lot of publications. Things were going successful, but something was missing. And I didn't know what. And at some point, you know, at some point I found this is not what I want to do. This is, I'm, I'm not this creator of things. I'm not the scientist of things. I can do this, but that's not my passion. But I'm more seeing patterns, things which are good things where I can connect people, where I can promote things. And that's when I thought back to an experience I had as a student, when I actually worked in selling things and where I was quite successful. And that's what was a point where I said, I have to do something else. I still mm. want to, still want to stay in science, still want to have the opportunity at some point to, to lead people, but, but it's not, it's not being a professor. And it was a bit painful at this top point to, to realize that's not what I want to do because I've, I've worked all my life towards this. But, but once I started, I found this is much easier for me. This is much more fun and I'm way more successful with, with less effort. And so I was starting my sales career. Uh, there's a picture emerging, Stefan, of an extraordinary character here. Uh, you spoke about when you were in school, you wanted to go to this boarding school because you wanted to focus on your maths and, and, and do better at that. And then as you moved around and you decided, well, I don't want this, I want that. And, and you went after it. Because I think a lot of people, first of all, don't always know what they want or have, have, don't have that sense of what they want. And B, if they do, they're, they're often held back by fear or fear of failure, et cetera, and, they, and then they don't pursue and they end up quite unhappy later on in life. And I'm wondering what it is that you have that made you so self-aware and had the courage to pursue that. Yeah. Um, I'm always you know, very interested how things are going with myself, and I found very early that if things go well, it, it's much harder to develop, right? If things go really well, you think, oh, things are going well, I'm fine. It's really the times where things do not go well, where you can learn a lot about yourself. And um, the, the first time I really had this in my life was this time in boarding school, where, where at some point things were not going well. I felt very, very, very lonely and was not successful anymore. I successful my old school. And I thought to myself, what can I do? What, what, what can I do about this to, to, to get better? Mm. And, two, two things, and two things I found what's really important for me is being with other people, like influencing other people, being with other people, and, and being successful. Successful in a way that I think I do something impactful. And 
since I, I knew how it felt when things are, are not good, and, and honestly, I did not, you know, feel that bad again in my life, like at, at this point, I, I knew when to change. And I knew when I, I come, came close to such points that I want to do some changes. And, and then it was really going to myself, what's going wrong? What can I do better? And then finding a goal, saying, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And then breaking down how to get there and starting afresh. And this, you know, this has, this has been the case when I started from academia into sales to say I have to change something. Mm. And then finding the first job, then from the first job, finding the, the real job I wanted to do, being outside in the field with customers and, and also in other parts of my life. What I'm fascinated by, Stefan, is that you had at this stage a PhD. That brings a lot of, a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but when people hear that, it, it impresses them, right? There, there's a sense of, of achievement with it, a sense of importance, status was the word I was looking for, right? Automatically. And then you said, no, I'm going to go into sales. And there's a public perception that sales is a low status. Now, we know that's not true. I'm just talking about the public perception and the kind of things that might inform somebody's choice. I have this high status uh, qualifications, and now I'm going to do this. That didn't bother you at all? No, it didn't. And it's, it's, it's interesting, right? When you are... When you had a party and talk about your job and you talk about, hey, I'm doing stem cell research, everyone is listening, right? People like this and and it, and, and it is fun, right? Yeah. And you, you find out a lot of things, but a lot of part of your work is being in a lab with a pipette, pipetting things on a microscope, doing things. And of course, you, you talk about exciting things. That's what people, testing its people. Yeah. Um, as a, as, a, as a sales rep, you, f you help other people being successful in science. You help other people finding um, finding the tools to do their science. And it's a different level. As a scientist, you focus on, on one sharp goal, what you want to achieve. In sales, you focus on a lot of different people and, and help them get getting better in their science. Mm. And mm, for me, this connecting with people, connecting with their science, which I can't do since I'm a scientist. Mm. And when I now think what, what I do in my job at Andor here, I'm working with people working with spectroscopy. That's what I did in my PhD. With fluorescence microscopy, I did this in my, in my postdoc. Also high energy physics, what I did in my PhD, it's all fields I'm, I have experience in, I can understand. I can help people get better, find the better equipment and, and, and understand their issues. And that's something I, I brought from science. And then, of course, the, the full sales, sales mindset, the full skills that I had to learn yeah. from, from scratch. And it has been a very different learning as learning to be a scientist. Mm. Learning to be a scientist was very straightforward, was a study, you know, you learned things. As a sales rep, I was just doing things, seeing something can be better, or seeing someone who was better on something and then adapting and learning. And... I, over the years, I really appreciate this style of learning since 
I think it's much more efficient because you have some motivation, you have always the feedback, you can always try things out and see how, the, how it's going. And um, over the years, I've built up this expertise I can now use to help people in my team mm. to get better Makes at selling and, and to still be able to connect with customers when it's necessary. Yeah. It's like you're, you're, you're this bridge between the commercial world and the scientific world. What strikes me, Stefan, is, is that science, when you're studying science, you're studying about the world. Sales, you're learning about yourself primarily and, and by extension, other people. I'm curious to know what you learned about yourself as you moved into the sales world and, and you did it professionally rather than in your earlier life where you probably wasn't professional. Yeah, that's, that's a good question, Paul. I mean, first of all, you know, I, I always thought I'm very ext extroverted. Right. First of all, I, I found different facets of this. Yes, I'm, I'm an extroverted guy, but there are also times where I'm, where I'm hesitant, right? If I, 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 I'm not sure, should I connect to the person? Should I, should I go to someone? And this is also what I learned, that there are different facets of my personality. Sometimes being this extrovert in certain moods and sometimes being, being more introvert and needing some, some momentum, right, to, to, to start. Mm. But I also learned... All the time over my, my physics studies, I was like, was this the right choice studying physics? Should I not even have done like psychology or something? Like working with people. Because I'm really, really interested. I'm really, really curious about people. And as a sales rep, this was ideal because, of course, I, I'm not a psychologist, but you learn on the fly how to connect with people to see what's really what people need. It's not only about the products you sell. It's really about your customers. It's yeah. about what's, what's on their mind what do they, they want from this? What do they win from this? It's also about building this rapport, connecting to people, since only if they trust you, you can really find out what they need and really help them. Sure. And, and this was fitting quite well, you know, with, with me being very interested in, in self-reflection, also having this constant, this constant feedback and this constant experience by selling. Mm. And I, you know, I, I strongly believe combining this, this expertise in a certain field and being able to help people and this expertise in, in finding out what do people want, what language do they speak, what's the best way to communicate, this made me really strong in, in selling things. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Uh, in what you're doing today, I don't mean today, today, but currently, what's exciting you? So... One thing which is exciting me is, of course, all the all the signs around it, right? If we sell something, it's it's great signs, right? Um, in microscopy, you know, you you've have equipment, you can really drill down and see parts of parts of cells you haven't seen before. Seeing seeing dynamics in in physics, you know, if you if you sell in astronomy, you can you sell people equipment to see stars, to see things other people haven't seen before. And, and this being part of big, big instrumentations. This is, this is one thing fascinating me. Mm. The other thing, and this is coming more and more, is really to work with people, not with customers anymore so much, more with a team, but helping people develop, seeing things in people, and then confirming this, mm. and then you know putting them to the next level and, and helping them getting better and my, my goal is really to make them better salespeople than mm. I, I used to be. Mm. 
They have a team of people which are better than I am to really be successful. Mm. And, 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 this is, and this is really nice if you see how people develop, how people get better and eventually then, then overtake you in, in their skills. Mm. That's really nice. Mm. It's interesting. You talk about the, this, the me not the mechanics, but the machines or the astronomy, you're looking at stars, you're helping people see uh, what they can't see with their own naked eye. And with spectrometry, I can't even pronounce it, spectronomy, uh, you're helping people see stuff, again, they can't see with their naked eye. And, and there's an excitement in that. I'm wondering if there's a parallel there between that and sales, because sales is, is similar. You can't see into the future in sales, and there's a process there that's designed to get you close to that. But there's a, and a, I'm wondering if there's an attraction to the unknown. So in science, it's an exploration of the unknown. And in sales, there's also a lot of things that are unknown. That requires a certain type of character to be attracted to that. And I'm just wondering if you've ever felt that parallel between the two. Um, yes, that there are things unknown. So, so I think in science, as also in sales, there are lots of cues to, to guide you the way, right? It's, it's, it's unknown. And especially if you sell, you know, big instrumentation or if you have lots of competition, you don't know what's happening. You just know if I do X, Y, Z, this is how I can in increase my chances of selling. And it's the same in science. You, sometimes you don't know what comes out, but you know if I, if I do things right, if I optimize things, I have a much better chance. And, and, but if you succeed, and if you do things right, do you, have, you increase your chances to succeed, this is really nice. This is something you didn't just expect. Right? This is something you say, yes. It was worth it to go this way. Mm. Maybe you know, on the scope, developing certain techniques, or maybe going hand in hand with a customer, and then yeah. to sell this. And this is this is really nice. In science, often it takes longer to get there. In sales, depending on the product, it doesn't take that yeah. long, but you have this more often. Yeah. But it's very very motivating and inspiring experience. I can imagine. I, I think. As they call it these days, the science is a much abused term, uh, the understanding of science. And for me, science is an, is an exploration and removal of, it's a removal of biases in order to discover the truth. My understanding of science. And I think sales is, is the same, that we all have our biases and prospects have their biases there's, uh, and, and, and all we seek in sales is the truth. I mean, the end goal, obviously, you have to sell, but the process is about uncovering truth, as in what are the prospects' reasons for doing business and being able to get through a lot of the smoke that prospects can throw up in the way, you know, I'm really interested, but they're not because they're looking at something else. And it's, it's that process of trying to clear that smoke, that intellectual smoke, and, and get at the truth. Um, and, and, and I would imagine the intellectual process of doing that is quite similar, as you, as you would say. I mean, that was what I was hearing when you talked about the, the, the discipline of science in trying to explore and discover the truth. Yeah, I think intellectual property is one, right? So you have the 
to, to see through things. Mm. But what's much more important is, is doing things. It's also being honest to yourself. You know, often we have a certain perception, say, this, this customer, I really like him, he will buy, it's a good, it's a good system for him, and then I, I don't see the other things. Mm. And the same in science, you think, oh, this is really nice, I, I like this project, I, I will succeed. And, but you don't see all the stuff which can hinder you to succeed. Mm. And you, know, you really have to look into this. You have to see what can go wrong. What do you have to be careful about? Of course, you have to still this, this leading principle, yes, I will succeed, but you have to see what yeah. can go wrong. What do you have to be careful for? Or maybe sometimes you don't see it yourself, you ask someone else. Oh. Say, hey, yeah. take a look here. Um, let me explain this to you. What do you see? Is, is, is this good? Do you see any, any challenges? And, and, and this can help mm. to, to see those things, find a way to solve them, and then have a much better chance of succeeding. Yeah. To, to look for those confounders that are going to impact our biases as well. I, I, I love this. I, I love that idea, that approach of, of being self-aware of your own biases uh, and, and also not being afraid to go seek out what are the confounders, what are the things that I'm not seeing, because the goal is to get at the truth. And if the truth is there's no reason for them to do business, then, then that's the truth, and we need to know that sooner rather than later. Um, I'd like to just go back a little bit and, and understand a bit more about the kind of things that... Well, let's, let's talk first about when you were younger, who inspired you most and why? Well, when I was, well, when I was younger, when I was really young, what inspired me most was kind of sport, right? When I was, when I, was I think when I was six or eight or so, I said, I want to I win in the Olympics, right? This was, was really inspired me. And then I found... I'm good at sports, but you know, but but not so much that I can do this. And then next thing was science, and I was inspired as, as a scientist, right? Mm -hmm. mm. I I couldn't I could even even say someone in particular, but just just famous scientists, so on you, you you get to know, and and their way of seeing the world, of finding new things, mm. changing the world, mm. and. And, and this accompanied me, you know, until until my PhD, until my, my postdoc, where I found that there are also other things which are really, really fascinating, like leadership. And so what 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 is it that you can lead people? What 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 is good leaders? What what do you do to be a good leader? What can you do as a good leader? Mm. And of course, there are, there are people, you know, celebrities you can follow, but I always found people in my life close to me. I found this is someone who, who does this really well. You know, maybe the professors where I did my PhD or my postdoc, or maybe people in the sales team I found, well, this is a really good sales guy. Or maybe my first manager who kind of showed me the way leading the team and, you know, and, and having me then adapting and then finding my own way, but with those principles. Mm. And throughout all my career, especially my sales career, I, I always found people. I think this is some where I wanted to learn something, connected with them, and got got some coaching, got some interaction, and got better, and 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 added. Mm. And with a lot of those people, I'm still in touch, I'm still exchanging ideas, and. And the good thing is, the longer you go back with people, the better they know you. Mm. And this, this part of experience has a big impact. If someone knows you, what kind of things they tell you, 
what kind of things to tell you to get better. Yeah. When you think about business and business leadership and sale and sales leadership specifically, who, who there inspires you most or who have you learned most from? Mm. One one thing I did to to get into sales mm. when I when I just started was a podcast called the this the advanced selling podcast. Sure, sure you know this one, right? And what was what was really good for me, it's it's guys from the Midwest. So I was I was liking this accent because I have been in the Midwest before in Madison at my first talk. And it was a really deep understanding of, of selling. Mm. This is this is what you what you do. And and they had, had different topics every day. And I, I remember myself listening to this podcast when I was driving to customers and then picking things up along the way until I thought, okay, now I, I understand this and now what they what they suggest is something I would also do. Which took you know, which took a couple of mm. years. But this was something which helped me a lot. Mm. Another another guy who, who inspired me mm, was was someone on my team. When I when I started working, a man told me, you know what? There are two people in the team I would really like you to, to learn from. Right? This, this those are really good in selling, and if you if you go with them, you will learn something. One of them was Jürgen, one of our our sales reps and very successful one on the team. And just by Going with him to customers, at this time, me being in application, him being in sales, I, I picked up a lot of things, how to handle customers. You know, things like it's 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 not good in sales to pretend you're you're clever, right? It's sometimes it's good to say, you know what? You you are the expert here. You are clever. Explain explain this to me. Right? Show me how to do it. Um another another guy I worked with quite a bit was, was Günther from a distributor. And and same thing. Going to customers at a way as I'm the one I want to be educated by you, being being curious, and and, and this 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 curiosity and this Mr. Customer, you are on the stage, right? right? You are the one mm. who who are the main figure. This is something I had to think back also later when I was when I knew I, I knew quite a bit, right? right? To say still be in the spot, being being curious, and then of course also all the little elements of of, of psychology like connecting with customers. Mm. Asking them about themselves, like making little compliments, um, you know, give, giving things, helping. This is stuff I really picked up, up, up from people. And it was a, quite a different learning mm. than in, in academics, where you just learn from books, you learn from papers, like learning from seeing people doing certain things. Mm. And then at, at the time adapting, then asking those people, hey, look over what I do. And then it's then refining this. Yeah. Very, very interesting way of learning and also a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I still remember, you know, after after the customer visits, being at the bar, being at a restaurant and talking about this and, you know, interchanging, educating yourself and just having a lot of fun. Yeah. This is what's a lot of fun for me in sales, being out in the field, being with customers or, or colleagues. Yeah. And, and then also being to get a success yeah. sounds like you enjoy the psychology of sales a lot yeah it's it's fun it's, it's like you know my wife sometimes tells me I'm, I'm sometimes too too patient with people but it's really the curiosity I'm really curious what it's what it's about them you know what what is it say and you know there are people well you know 
you, you see right away it's maybe it, it's not clicking, but still it's very interesting to learn what they are doing, why they are doing this. And you can do this in sales all the time. You can do this in leadership all the time where you don't have this, this, this lots of connections with customers, but you have those deeper connections with people in your team. Mm. It's, it's also the same with, with distribution sales where you have those deeper connections and connection building up over year, over mm. two, and then really able to, to work together in your journey from selling to sales leadership, what did you learn about yourself that surprised you the most? So one thing I learned is um, that I've been a bit too too soft with people. You know, when I when I when I sold. I, I couldn't request customers say you, you have to do this or I didn't do this. I was very soft and say, okay, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And which I think is a good way of selling. Of course, you can also have pieces assertive type and also sell this way. But this is one thing where I had to change as a leader to really set clear expectations. You know, not being being rude to people, still being being nice, but setting clear expectations. That's what I expect. This is what we need to be successful. And then also giving people the chance to, to grow up to this and, and not just being the understanding guy, but also being being the one who say, hey, you have to do this if you want to be successful. Mm. You know, trust me here. Let's let's go this way together. And this is something I learned. Okay. What? And the second thing I learned is also to not do certain things. Mm. You know, as a sales rep, you can do a lot, a lot of different things, but... The more I had to do, the more I had to say, this is how I prioritize your time. This is what I do, and this is where where I say no, and this is what I what I don't even don't even read. And when I when I started in sales, I was sometimes a bit mm, upset if some people didn't answer my emails in a timely manner and just just when I asked the second or third time. But that's what I do too now, because if you do all the requests you get, you can't really do the things which are really important to be successful, mm. since you don't only have limited time. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, what makes you feel proud? Hmm. What makes me feel proud is if I was able to have an impact on someone. Hmm. So, you know, first of all, having the connection that someone is, is trusting me and, and let me help himself and, and finding something I can... I, I want to do and then being able to have an impact on someone and helping you know and finding you know finding potential in, in, in people which others don't see mm. so for example during my time at, at, at Thermo Fisher my previous job there was a guy in an application and since he was part of the sales team and you know the manager at this time really looked more to the sales people he, he was a little bit neglected he was he was clever really really clever scientist but he wasn't so much organized oh. and and often salespeople talk like well i'd rather go with the, with the other one because then everything is there and i, and I thought well that's potential he, he can do this and then there was opportunity um, where again the demo lab wasn't in shape things were not as they should be and i said well this is your project now and i, I took and i knew he had a he had a an idol in our sales organization. Yeah. So I took this guy and, uh, and another guy and we, we sat together and I asked him, how should the lab look like? And he had this picture, he painted this and then 
I said to my to my application strategist, say, hey, this is this is what we want to do. This is how it should look like. And you're responsible. You don't have to do it yourself. You can ask other people to do this, but but do it. Yeah. And of course, after after a few weeks, not too much has happened. So I reminded him, hey, this is your project. How can I help you? But but over time, we're succeeding, right? Getting getting this this lab in the shape it, it should yeah. be. And I, I could see he was he was like. Well, I can do this. This is this is good, yeah. um, and of course, I also helped him to really, really succeed. And and in the next step, I connected him with with, some, with a mentor in the company and explained him responsibility and how he can get a much better feeling with salespeople. And you, you could see how he developed. And shortly after, another colleague um, from the team couldn't work for a while because she she got sick, and he jumped in and. This was a really, really nice feeling, I think, for him and also for yeah. myself to see this is something where I could have an impact and, and help him to see his potential and yeah. getting self-confidence. Yeah. Of course, that's, that's for everyone, also for, for myself, there's always a long way to go. There's yeah. always a lot of things to, to get better in, but we have to start somewhere. Yeah. We have to gain confidence that you can do this. Yeah. Since I think most successful people I, I have met really realize that they are the most influential part of their life. It's not the people around, it's not the things they grew up, it's really themselves. If they want to change something, it's themselves. And and of course, then getting help from outside. But the initiation has to come from yourself. Yeah, it's a, it's a bias for action that they have to have. Yeah, that make, makes sense, makes sense. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to leadership, what aspect of leadership do you struggle with most or find most difficult? That's an interesting question. Let me think about this. I think, and I'm not sure if this is the thing I struggle with, but the thing I have respect for is if you have a leadership, if you're a leader, you have a responsibility, not only for yourself, but for more people. You know, right now for kind of 20 people, and you're responsible for what's happening. Mm. And, and sometimes you don't know, right? Sometimes you don't know what's what's the right thing, and then you have to, to ask. You know, you have to consult with the team and... Um, and you know this is this is some pressure, mm. right? To to don't know what to do, but they have to make a decision. Mm. But I've learned, you know, by by consulting people I trust, by consulting the team to get to the right decision, and then to convince people that's it. That's what we do right mm. now. And then also, if something goes wrong, to to be honest with us, to say, hey, let's let's evaluate this, let's see how this is going, and if there's if there need to be a change, mm. do do a change. Um, that's you know that, that that's a process. It's it's much better if you if you know exactly this is where we want to go, and and then it's 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 much easier mm. to convince people. But if you have to convince yourself of something, if you need help, and then and then still setting setting the the road, this is where we have to mm. go. Okay, there's a thought at the back of my mind around. Anytime, if I go back now, I may be going back to you know mid '90s onwards. Anytime I would have spent time in Germany with work, that if you if you if you blindfolded me and dropped me into a an office in Germany, 
I'd know I was in Germany. There's something about the design of the buildings, the doors. There's a feel, there's a vibe, I, and I can't really explain it. It's different. And the other thing that I would have noticed back then is, I, I, and, and I, I'm, I'm only comparing and contrasting it to, say, more recent times here in Ireland with, with, with the high-tech companies in, in the SaaS space, where it's more playful. There's, uh, you know, maybe a hammock or bean bags where people are sitting on, and, and there's a very different vibe. And in, in Germany, it was always much more, you, you went to work for a specific time, you worked, and then you went home, and, and the lines were a lot clearer, where in, in larger companies, let's say, I'll go to Google, for example. Yeah. People go in and they're having their breakfast, and they'll be chatting, and it doesn't feel like that, that workplace that I would have grown up with. And my real question is, what I'm really curious about is, is it still like that, or has, has, has it changed? Has has the atmosphere, the work atmosphere I'm talking about, um, become more, more Googleized? I can't think of a better word than that. Yeah, yeah. I see what I see where I come from. So I also realized this, you know, working in different places in, in Germany and also then being in the U.S. for two and a half years as a postdoc, it's a different, different work style. And you know. In the US, it's, you have longer hours, but you also do much more with your colleagues. You, you socialize much more than you would do in Germany. Mm. In Germany, it's really like you, you go to work, to work, you have a good time with your, with your, with your colleagues, but it, it's really about work. And of course, with a few, you really click, you really connect with, you also do private things, but working is, is, is a lot about work. And I think in, in, in bigger companies and established companies, it's, it's still the same for the most part. So I also know couple of startups where it's different mm. you know especially from people which are inspired from being in the u.s or being inspired by by other startups in the u.s where they, they change this and it's more like working this long hours but doing a lot of also fun activities together and also having things in the office mm. and i i would envision that this will change mm. over time and will pick up those things mm. coming from the from from the u.s for the yeah. part. But it may, it may still take time since, you know, thinking about this, it's, it's still, you go to work for yeah. work and in Germany yeah. and in the US, it's, it's also work, but it's also kind of a social space. Work. Yeah. I, I worked in, uh, I, I worked at, I should say, Sudwestfunk in Baden-Baden back in, it was only for a summer, three months, uh, back in 1985. And my recollection was when pe people did socialize, but they didn't do it at work. It would have been organized for after work, but people might meet, go for an hour to a beer garden, for example, or maybe go bowling, something like that. So it was, it was, yeah, it was work, workplace was work. And, and I have to say, I do like that. I, cause when the lines become blurred between work and home, I don't think that's good for people's own mental health as well. I think people need that separation. That would be my sense, could be completely wrong. I, I was just curious to know what you think about that that the creeping not socialization. It's not a, it's not that it's working no matter where you are is is a very social thing outside of the pandemic when everybody's working from home, obviously. But there is a creeping uh, I, where where private life creeps into in, into that work life, and, I, and you see this in legislation now in France, and I think 
There's some other country introduced it recently where you're not allowed email somebody after a certain time. And that to me is a clue, a recognition that the lines are, have become blurred and that's not always a good thing. I think, I think it's important you know, to have, to have a structure in your week and to have some time where you don't have to think about work. Mm. I think this is important in every position. Of course, as a leader, it's, it's, it's less time, right? And it's more responsibility. You think more about work, but you need some time where you don't think about work. And I've realized this at, at most, and I was in the US, and I was, you know, I was doing cell culture. You know, cells want to eat every day, so I also work during the weekend. Mm. And I think this is especially dangerous if it's not structured. So if you if you just do this spontaneously and have no structured time, you don't know this is when I do it and this is when I have free time, but if you just just do it. And and also if things don't go well, right? I mean if, if things go well, if you are if everything is fine and you you are successful, then I think you have a much bigger resilience to this. But if if you do a lot of work and, and certain things don't work out as you plan, then you get in trouble. Mm. And you know, from this experience that I, I did not have this really free weekends and patching things together, I, I made the decision that in Germany that I don't work over the weekend. Mm. I, I can make a, the choice to say, okay, I have to do certain certain kind of work. And this is what I do at a certain point, maybe Sunday evening or so. But most of the time I don't work over yeah. the weekend. And the same same thing, this is what I realized as, as a sales rep. Often you are with customers and then you go to the hotel room and say, oh, I'm hungry, I eat something, and then you want to do some work and you know, you're not fit anymore, but you still do it and do it until 11. This is not mm. good. And then you're not very productive mm. in this time, but you still think about it when you sleep and when you get up in the morning, you're not as fit as if you wouldn't have done it. And, and same thing here. Um, there's just a line I draw and, and usually the line is at, at, at 8 p.m. where I say, okay, that's it. Um, no more emails, no more work after this time. I'd rather get up early in the morning to mm. do this but this is then time for myself. It, it's something different to you know go out for dinner with colleagues. It's something I can also do until two or three at night, um, especially now in those times. It's something I really enjoy and you can talk about work and it doesn't matter. It's really about doing like the tedious things, like emails and, and all those things. And it's important to draw a line. It, it, and not only drawing a line between, between um, work and private things. Mm, right now I'm... I started someone being a team leader on my team and I was in the same situation in 2017 when I started this and he still has responsibility for territory and he has a team. And what I tell him is also structure mm. your time. Those are the days you do the work for the team. Those are the days you do the work for yourself. So if you structure this and if you really reflect on what you've done, it's a much better feeling as if you just see all the work and you patch it in all the time. So it's very important to structure your life, maybe different parts of work you do, or maybe work yeah. in private life. Speaking of private life, or not private life, yeah, social life, private life, um, what is it you like to do to unwind and relax? The different things. I mean, one thing I really like for all the time is board gaming. And I've, I've always had board gaming groups, like playing, playing board games. It's really strategic. Board games, you, know, you can take your time. Um, for thought, think what you do, and you know, if you immediately yourself, you can see what is a good strategy, what is a bad strategy, what I, what I was doing. Another thing I really like is photography. 
my my dad was a you know was doing photography and I started with as a kid and it's it's also mm. really really nice to just see the 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 world mm. through a lens. You know, sometimes on holiday I had to be careful not to do too many pictures to really enjoy the holiday, <laughs> since you can get in yeah. this mood, right? Tell just me about it. I, 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 know, I know exactly. What type of photography inspires you the most? Um, what, what I really, really like is situational photography. Um, so, see, it's a scenario, right? Like, like my wife also really likes this. We get a get mm -hmm. a notepad. She's driving. I'm on it with, with a camera, and then you just look for a really nice situation and. and take photos of people with a really fast lens. And then, of course, it's a lot of pictures, not so many work out, but some of those scenes are really fascinating. It's not, you know, it's, it's just the moment okay. you capture. And I also really like, um, you know, those, those press photography. There are those exhibitions where I can see those pictures and there are certain moments captured. And especially, especially people, yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes emotional, sometimes it's really the, the background of the situation. And yeah. really, really nice. I, I'm, I'm going to indulge myself for a moment. And if people are listening to this are not interested in photography, I don't care. I am. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about this before because I'm conscious of time. What do you like to shoot film digital? What type of camera format do you like to shoot with most? Um, it, digital, right? Um, I, I used to have the film camera. When I was when I was a kid, but at some time I switched to digital, and it's so much easier, so much better processing, can do more pictures, and I've 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 a Canon, okay, right, and um, also <clears throat> it's APC format, but I have those, those good big um, full format mm -hmm. lenses I work with, sometimes heavy, but it's also nice to have a heavy lens in your hand, and um, and um, from time to time, I'm, I'm too lazy to take my camera, so I just mm. take my phone and take phone images, which is which is also good if yeah. you have enough light. If it's not too much motion, um, without light, with 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 motion, you come, you know, very very fast to, mm. to limits. But for for you know, for pictures with good conditions, it's a good thing, and you have it always with you. And often it's like capturing something but making a better picture. I remember we have been in Australia. And we were at the beach, and um, it was called Lucky Beach. And then we, we saw kangaroos, and kangaroos were starting a fight. And I had my phone in my hand, I was looking at something, and I had my camera. I was like, what do I do? Do I take the pictures now, or get, do I get mm. my camera ready? And I, I took my phone, took some pictures. Um, they were mm. decent ones, we're not as good quality, but after five or 10 seconds, they stopped mm. fighting. So I wouldn't have had this shot. Yeah, no, I, and again, I know the, the 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 latest phones, like the iPhone 13 Pro, that are just amazing. I was in Malaga recently, and I brought with me, I brought a film camera. I have this Leica M8, which I love. I love the the gestalt, the the the, the feeling of it. It's beautiful, but um, I just found it, I couldn't be as responsive to changing situations. And they had this down their main street. They had these Christmas decorations up that were like large pieces of colored glass and the light was coming through them and it was red light and blue light and yellow and green and it was catching it was just beautiful fantastic scene but the only good pictures i got were with my iphone yeah. so um yeah i do what the, i'm fascinated by the where where the area of computational photography is going where they're actually 
taking the, the, the laws of physics and putting them into, into software in terms of background blur, depth of field, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's absolutely fine. I'm just curious to know where it's going. That said, I do think, and they bring this back to sales because I had another guest on the podcast recently, Laura Gal. She's the uh, sales VP in Paris with a company called Miracle. She, she took time out uh, like a sabbatical to pursue photography and, or to study it. And she loves it, but she only shoots on film. And her big takeaway when it comes to sales, the interesting thing is that there is it's it's a different discipline that with a film camera you have to know exactly beforehand what you want to do and you have to be much more prepared. Um, and there is more emphasis on the skill of the photographer. The, the, it's unforgiving that you really know how to do it and that I like that idea in sales as well as a parallel that we have all of these tools that are aids that help sell. But at the end of the day, it's down to the relationship of the seller and the buyer in the same way as with a film camera, for example, it's the relationship between the photographer and the subject that matters most, not the camera. And that when we think it's the camera that matters most and we're, it gets in the way. And I remember it was a, a, a model, I think she might have been a, a German model, uh, one of these supermodels. And she said she could always tell the difference between a photographer who had grown up with film cameras and one who only ever knew digital. And the difference was the, the, the film camera, everything was prepared in advance. And they were, they, when they were taking pictures, they weren't looking at the camera, they were engaging with the model and trying to get the best expression from the model. Whereas the digital photographer was taking a shot and looking at the back of the camera, taking a, looking at the back of the camera. And she said that interrupted the flow. And, and I, I just found it interesting, I think that there may be some parallels between that and sales tech, and that we can become over-reliant on it. And my concern of, is that we'll end up in sales, to me, you know, iPhone 13 Pro, there's a lot of AI. I don't know if it's traditional AI, but it's certainly the computational, it's complex computational stuff. And that, that's taking over from the skills. And therefore, we don't develop the creativity that you would if you didn't have it. So I guess where I'm going with this is that I, I would have concerns that in sales that we're doing too much for reps that we're trying to capture too much of the process inside technology. I had somebody recently tell me that they have call software that listens into the conversation and that's prompting the salesperson with what to talk about. So the AI will say, we heard the prospect talk about X, therefore don't forget to mention Y. And I just think, I have concerns that that's going down a, a dangerous path, yeah. that it's people then are not learning. You said this earlier, you said it's really important to learn from going through the difficulties, that that, that sharpens you and makes you better and stronger. Whereas if, you, if everything is just served up to you and it's too easy, we're robbing people of the opportunity to learn and grow and develop. That's, that's a bit of a roundabout yeah. from talking about cameras, but I wonder, would you share the same? A concern. Um, I think it really depends on what you sell, right? I mean, if you if you, if you buy little things, um, I think you know AI has mm. taken over. 
if you go on Amazon, you look for something little, you just you just buy it on another portals. And this is where where this has taken over because it's it's really about I want to buy something, I want to find the best. It's not about this connection. You just want to get this thing. If it's about complex instrumentation, or if it's about things where which can really influence your life, change your life, you want to be sure. You want to you, you mm. want to have this connection, and connecting with with people, with experts, you know, building this relationship, um, really finding out what you want, is something you, you cannot do yeah. with, a, with a machine, right? You, you just you just it's just another another process, and what you say is true. I mean, there are all those tools, it's really really advanced CRM systems, things which tell you what to do in which circumstance, but you still have to be careful what's what's the most important part of the sales process, what do you have to look for. And yes, those programs can help you. They can especially help also your manager to see what's going right, what's going wrong. But the most important part is still building a connection with your customer. And, and with this connection, use this connection, really find out what does yeah. she or she want. How, how can I help? What's, what's the best solution? And then also having the structure to get, to guide them through this, and if those CRM systems or things can help, helping you understanding this better, helping you get, getting you better feedback, that's mm. good. But if it's if you just see all those cues, all those all those things, it yeah. maybe is distracting. I mean, this this is for me. For me, I really have to have a clear focus. Few things yeah. is what I have to do. If you have a, a full screen full of things. Yeah. What should I do first, right? I really need this prioritization, and this is something. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes leadership forgets they want to have all this information, but when when is this helpful for the sales rep, and when is this distractful? And I think it's really important to find the right balance. Also, to have salespeople having fun. That's also a very important point. Like the more technical tools you have, some some help you. Some are just really tedious, and less you have fun. And I think. That's also a way of. Is this attractive for a customer? Do the customers, the customer, feel you enjoy this? Who really, really likes this, mm. right? To to really find the mm. right balance. Here. I I like it, Stefan. I'm I'm just conscious we're we're up on time, and I want to respect that. Uh, I'm so delighted to to finally get to talk to you. You're an absolute inspiration. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. One very final quick question: When your time on this planet is done. And there's a book written about your life. What would you like the title to be? Um, it's maybe <laughs> title is maybe something like you know this is this is how. How Stefan um, helped um, help people to, to to be the way mm. they are, right? Helped influencing them. I think that's that's, that's really something I want to do. I, what, what what I learn, what I do, yeah. I want to influence people. I want to develop people to something better. And it's maybe. Um, okay, I like is, it. This is what I, I, people yeah. learn. He helped others, people. and it mattered. Yep, I love yeah. it. Again. Dr. Stefan Zorn, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, it was a pleasure.